Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential, where all month long we are talking about how to maintain a flexible mindset in this new brand new opportunity of 2021. And uh, I, of course, am your host, Michael Sherlock, if you didn't know that already. My guest today has a lot of great info to share with us. And I think that her take on this flexible mindset is going to be very, very important. So joining me today with a lovely fireplace burning in the back, for those of you watching the video <laughs> version, is Jill Ratliff. And she's an author, executive coach, and leadership speaker with more than 20 years of Fortune 100 human resource management experience. So she's been there with the biggest of the biggest companies. She's the author of a new book, which <laughs> strangely enough, she decided to launch during a pandemic called Leadership Through Trust and Collaboration. And she's an also a longtime mentor with Pathbuilder. Builders, which is uh, an organization that helps high-performing women accelerate their careers. And by the way, I was snooping around her uh, LinkedIn profile, and I see that she also has spent a lot of time with junior achievement, which is oh, one of wow. my um, passions in my past. <laughs> she specializes in leadership, executive coaching, and business and personal transformation, working with Fortune 500 and professional services firms to develop their C-suite Ah, really to help leadership in the C-suite area. Amazing. I love talking about this, helping them to not only be high potential leaders, but to reach their full potential. She's also managing partner at JMR and a senior advisor in Beecher Reagan's leadership and advisory practice. So joining me today is Jill. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, I love it. And yes, I'll definitely want to talk about junior achievement. I spent um, several years in my career um, being a part of junior achievement classrooms uh, in my hometown of Spokane, Washington, and just such a passion project for me to be involved with them. I, I actually, strangely enough, tried to get involved again um, a couple years ago in Philadelphia. And so I, call, I was just calling everywhere saying, how can I do this? And nobody ever got back to me. So... Man, well, and you know, it's so interesting because we could seriously do the whole podcast and it would be about leadership on that alone. But the oh. president of J.A. George has been invited two years in a row to Necker Island with Richard Branson as one of 30 people changing the face of education in America. So oh, this guy, his name's Jack Harris. I mean, he is a rock star and what he's doing with J.A. here in Georgia. And now he's gone national. J.A.'s picked him up on a national level and pulled him out of Atlanta. And oh. what he's doing is insane. So it is clearly near and dear to my heart to reach these kids and help them like get a leg up so that they can have the life they want to have, regardless of where they're getting their start in life. So, Oh my God. I love it. Yes. We could talk about that all day. We'll have to watch yes. ourselves. But <laughs> I know, right? This is going to go like so fast. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> I know. Well, so tell us, like I hit some of the highlights of your bio, but tell us a little bit more about you, your business and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Yeah. 
And I, I just want to say I love that shock your potential because I think that you know, it's so easy to fall into our comfort zone. All of us have a tendency to do that. And we could talk all the neuroscience reasons why that happens and how we're, you know, our habits, you know, run our lives and all of sort of those things. But the truth is the way to grow is to shock your potential. And, you know, and it really is just such a perfect title. So I'd, I'd love to talk about that. So my background, I spent, gosh, 30 years in large, major multinational corporations. I started out in the sales and marketing side for six or seven years, which was great because you really learn what business really is when your client meets your customer, right? That's where it happens. But mm -hmm. that, um, I got pulled out of that and into the human resource side as a pass-through assignment to really help think about people and culture and how we get talent aligned to the business, right? And, and I really wow. thought I'd go over there for two years or three years and then go back into sales and sales management and, you know, do the rest, but it didn't happen because I fell in love with the idea of human potential and talent and mm -hmm. how you really build an organizational culture. And so that started back in my early 30s and I was in my first CHRO or head of HR job by the time I was 38. So pretty shocking, wow. fast path there. And um, we could talk about why that happened. A lot of that, right, is being in the right place at the right time and you know being open to you know, to an opportunity. But that being said, I spent the better part now of my career, 30 years, thinking about how do we develop our highest potential, um, both for ourselves, for our leaders, for our organizations. And what I have to tell you is I, over 30 years, I found mostly what doesn't work, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh -huh. yep. um, you know, we had our thumb on the pulse of the right thing, which as an example, engagement, right? We all learned and Gallup sort of crystallized it for us 15 years ago when they said, you know, engaged people are happy people, happy people serve your customers well, and you need to understand what's going on with engagement. So as HR professionals set out to grab that and create initiatives and roll engagement out and do engagement studies and surveys. And, you know, we've been at it 15 years. And if you believe anything that you read, engagement's gone down every year since we started working on it. So <laughs> right idea, right intention, right. poor execution. And so that's one, and I'll set that aside for a minute when you come back to it, but that didn't work. And then trust, right? We all know yes. you got to build trust in an organization. We all know that people, you know, do better when they trust their leaders. We all know that trust is broken, not only on a global level. I mean, not only on a business leader level, uh, you know, Enron and so many things that have happened where we've lost trust in our business leaders, but we've lost trust on a global level in our government. And for, again, good reason, right? Things are not going well. You know, we've we've learned and seen that there's more divisiveness um, in the world today than than ever before, or we're seeing it and it's being allowed to surface up to where we can't ignore it. We are being right. shocked by the truth that we have known for a long time, shocked yeah. into doing something about it finally. And I think that's great. So I think um, building trust would, right? And you've been in the business for a while doing the people thing. And, you know, we take people to off sites and we put them up on poles and, you know, you've let your colleagues catch you. And I love Brene Brown, by the way, brilliant woman, but, you know, yeah. you put people in a work environment in a situation and you dip, dip them in the high vulnerability category. And then they're all safe and protected because you've designed a structure where they will be. And then you send them back into the bright lights of the work environment where they no longer have that safety and that bubble around them. Yeah. And they don't know what to do, right? They don't know how to fix broken relationships. They don't know how to communicate across our differences when, and here's my whole thing I'll share you when things are not going according to plan. And to be honest, right. there's a lot of leadership books and a lot of leadership 
people and brilliant um, writers and authors like John Maxwell, right? The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Yeah. I pick on yeah. John a little bit because the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership on Wednesday morning, when you're in a breakdown in a meeting and the IT people and the you know ops people cannot get on the same page and communicate, which of those 21 laws of leadership are you going to pull out of your hip pocket, right? Like, I don't right. even know what the 21 laws of leadership are. And I've been studying leadership for 20 years. So I, and the point being that I think we need to rethink how we connect as humans, how we communicate across our differences when things are not going according to plan, when we're pushed up against, when we have a conflict, when we're stressed, which by the way, now in today's world, pretty much is every day. So it's yeah. become a, a life skill because the overwhelm, the chronic stress level, the demands of our always on 24 seven technology world, and then just for the hell of it and for fun, let's throw a pandemic in there on top of it just to make it interesting, <laughs> right? It's already hard enough. And now it's even more. So all of that, you know, sort of, right. So all that I was wrestling with, all that I was trying things, what works, what doesn't work. If, if, if we're on it, then why aren't we seeing healthier, happier people, stronger cultures? And again, some organizations, you know, have, we're starting to figure some things out and do some things. But in the collective, we were still not being successful at creating healthy work environments. So that was going on in my life. Um, and it's sort of my background and my passion and what I love. And then something happened in my life that changed everything, changed everything about how I look at everything. And it led me to much to my CEO's, I think, shock um, to take a retirement package from my company and to walk away four years ago and to um, go about it completely differently. And that led me to writing my book. And so I can pause and talk about that in a few minutes when you're ready, but that sets up sort of what's different about what I'm doing and, and frankly, why do I do what I do? Why am I not retired since I could be and sitting up <laughs> at my lake house, you know, fishing or, you know, doing fun stuff, but I'm committed to this work because now it's a work, it's work with a mission to help people yeah. live happier, healthier, more successful lives and to teach leaders how to do it for themselves first. So they know how to lead others. You know, so many things as you were talking struck a chord with me. And um, I think you know, one of the things that I've seen with people during the pandemic, and a, a couple hours after we're done taping this episode, I'm actually uh, presenting to um, a couple hundred leaders at a at a Fortune 100 company, and we're talking about building trust. And and right. I'm talking to the leaders because I'm like, guess what? This is it's a two way street, but you have the right of way. You've got to create. You've got to make the first move. Um, and it reminded me of when. I was a couple uh, companies ago that I was with and we were merging all these businesses into one umbrella. And so there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pains. We're creating new processes, you know, every moment there's everywhere falling apart somewhere and a brand new uh, CMO. And so she's, you know, taken over this marketing team that's never had one head, you know, she's, uh, she's like losing her complete mind, loved her to death. And um, all of a sudden, one day, my phone just started blowing up. And, you know, you're just kind of watching this going, what's going on? We had put out ads. So we had 500 locations for this, you know, retail environment. And all of my locations, all their ads went out wrong. So they went, you know, <laughs> to the wrong store, wrong phone number, wrong dates, like 
everything wrong. And all my sales managers are calling me going, why are they doing this to us? They screwed us over, you know, and they're just losing their mind. And I'm just still sitting here looking at my phone going, all right, first of all, what call do I make first? <laughs> what do I want to say? Hey, and I just, and that's, that's and it, it isn't I, it? Mike, yeah. Michael, that's it right there. We don't need help when everything's going great. So the only yeah. door I go in, and by the way, it's funny you say that because my point of entry with my clients and almost always is transformation and change. It's we have leaders who have to get this organization for a major transformation and change. And what I know at my age and stage of life is there is no organizational or business transformation without personal transformation being the mirror image of that the opposite side of the coin. Absolutely. So if you don't understand that and you don't even understand what that means, so that you can lead yourself first and then be able to lead others. To your point, if you don't know what yeah. to do when that phone is blowing up and it's coming at you, then your potential to lead anybody else through that goes down pretty dramatically, right? So I, really I love does. that story. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, yeah. luckily I, I feel like I made the right move because number one, I called the CMO first and I just said, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, because you know, she'd been beaten on every side of the coin. And, uh, and I'm like, she's like, I don't know what's happening, blah, blah, blah. I go, take, take, take a deep breath. We'll figure this out. But, you know, tell me what I can help with, what we can fix right now. And then I'll deal, I'll deal with my team. But as I started talking with my team and they still wanted to rant on why marketing screwed us over, I said, do you really think marketing department or any department in this company, people get up and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to screw somebody up. I can stick it to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to waste a lot of the company's money. I'm like they didn't do that. There's something broken. So before you throw a rock at them, can you figure out maybe how you could help them? You know, let's figure out. And we found out a whole new way to operate and, and create some streamlined processes. But, you know, we, when in those moments of stress, to your point, if we, react with our gut that doesn't have the ability to stop and think with a clear head we do so much more damage in that moment and that's a, again a lot of my perspective I always like it's moments like folks it's moments in your day where you get to decide something as a leader that could make or break everything that's going to happen and frankly it's moments strung together in an ordinary day day in and day out that make the quality of your life, the quality of your impact, the quality of what you leave behind in your legacy. There's no grand plan that in two years or in a year or when you hit this milestone, it's built moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. And if you just pay attention, not to every single moment, right? Because that would be hard, right. but to the moments that are pushing back on you to those moments when people don't know what to do, can't get out of a situation, can't think clearly. If you have that skill set and you know how to, in that moment, turn that challenge on its ear, so many brilliant things come from that. Innovation comes from that. Trust is built from that. Collaboration is built from that. You know, um, personal friendships are built at work from that, right? I talk about love at work a lot, which is very funny. You can imagine most people are like, don't talk about that, you know, particularly when I get in the boardroom, you know. But the truth is, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can show love at work that's yes. powerful and is not the romantic kind of love, right? We all know that gets you in trouble. But right. there's ways to show absolute sort of agape, like what you just described. When somebody has gone down, 
clearly one of the first ways you show it is assume the problem, not an intention that had, right. you know, was clearly not what happened. Yeah. Right. And I love that. that. I'm going to write that down. Assume the problem, not, not, not the intention right. because, well, and, yeah, it, yeah. And one of the biggest things I always say is the first thing we have to change is our belief system about problems. That's our mm -hmm. biggest problem right there is that we think problems are problems. And how could it be any other way? Like, how could life be anything other than problem solving all day, every day? And isn't that the game? Like, isn't right. that actually what you get hired to do? And as you move up in leadership, aren't you actually getting paid to solve bigger problems? Like, that's oh. what we came for. And yet we turn so, the fact that we have a problem into a problem, which is where we're off the mark right there. Right? And that's when, so. you know, I see people that, um, you know, my husband and I, we have this kind of statement where we're, we always say, you know, we are, we are allergic to drama. <laughs> but there were, there were times in my life and in my career that mm -hmm. I ran right into drama. And yeah. I don't yeah. want any drama anymore. And so there's yeah. something that's really um, peaceful when you say, okay, so everything's on fire around me. Everybody's running around, catching that fire and moving it faster. Little fire brands. Um, but I'm just going to sit here for a second. And I'm going to step back and I'm going to observe just for a moment and not jump into the drama because, you know, when I've seen leaders who are always jumping from drama to drama, they're, I don't even know how they exist because that's got to be exhausting. I mean, it, it was is. for me when I was like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and and you can't work. And the first answer to, yeah, the first, the first Thing we look for, think about it. A leader you would trust, look to the military, you know, look to um, when 9-11 hit, look to when a crisis happens in your town or in your family. The first place you look to is the most stable person. Like who is that person who can hold their center, maintain a frequency, right? A harmony, um, use whatever you want. A calmness is a good word. And they're a you know, electrocardiogram, like in literally the thoughts running through their head so that they have access to clear thinking because mm -hmm. clear thinking is what solves problems fast. And anything um, that drops, if you think of all thoughts as, uh, all thoughts or emotions as positive or negative, right? And, and they're all good, right? We need all emotions, good, bad, and, you know, otherwise. But if you think of them in terms of a frequency, like as mm -hmm. a, you know, as a line, a frequency, a sound, Yep. Anything from contented or calm above the frequency of that would be something smooth, right? It'd be melodical. It, there'd be something about it that would feel good. Anything that drops below contented to frustrated, annoyed, angry, pissed, shame, you know, all of those all the way down to hatred and all, you know, the line gets very yeah. jagged, right? And yeah. so the more jagged the energy is, the frequency is in your head, it blocks clarity of thought. It makes it hard for you to problem solve at the highest level. And it's not your fault. It's because you're literally chemically unable to access clear thinking, right? So yeah. So, so what you're doing is good for you, healthy-wise, to your point, no drama, but it's also <laughs> a ridiculously powerful leadership skill yeah. to be able. Because when the frequency is negative, when there's a big problem like that and everybody's up in arms, that's like a huge chaotic noise, right? Loudness. Mm -hmm.
So the bigger the problem is, the more adept you have to be at being able to hold what functional looks like, like to hold a frequency that's big enough and strong enough to calm all of that. Yes. Right. So, and that, and that's a skill. And that's, I think what people don't realize, like that's a learned behavior. And it, yeah. and yeah, and you have to learn it and you have to practice it, which, practice you know, and it's going to, totally. it's going to prompt me to ask you more about your book, but it, I just want to share yeah. a thought with you because the reason I wrote my first book, which is called tell me more is that that was, that's what I, I read is <laughs> <laughs> because I had Very made good. so many mistakes and I was right. constantly trying to fix everything so that I could keep in motion in this high energy to keep it going that I, I unintentionally kept my management team always in crisis mode. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, they're like, Michael, I, many, I can't like, tell you how many leaders I watch do that. And you do, yeah. you do too from, right. Cause you do this, right. And it's, we don't see it. We don't notice. Well, first of all, we don't even know to notice. We don't even know yeah. to think of it this way. So yeah. step one, and I love when you said mindset because it all starts there. Like Einstein said, you know, when you change the way you see things, the things you see completely change and then you have a whole new set of possibilities, right? So it starts, everything starts with the mindset. And then from that, there's all kinds of choices and options and skill sets that you can practice. And by the way, many of which are so simple. And I know you've talk about this. I know you've had guests on that talk about this, but simplicity is a huge part of my message because we are so brilliant, honestly, in our left brains. Like we are so damn smart that we have to make everything so complicated so that we feel like we're exercising all that brilliance we have. But the problem with that is we already know more than we can do. We already are too smart for ourselves, right? We, we, we know we shouldn't eat the cookie if we're trying to lose weight, but can do we know how to not do that. So it's not like we don't know that right. we should treat people with respect. It's not like we don't know that collaboration is the best solution to creativity in the workforce. It's not like we don't know that trust is an essential element to build a safe environment for people to work and learn and grow, make mistakes and know that they're okay. We know all of that, yeah. but we don't know how to do that in the stressful moments. We, we know how to do that when everything's going good. But as soon as we hit the bumps on the side of the road, right? Da, 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 da. As soon as the car <laughs> starts veering off and you hit that, we we react, we jerk the wheel back onto the road and we don't know how to, you know, bring that stability, clarity, calmness, mm -hmm. and, you know, collaboration to problem solve when you're up to, you know, the deep water. <laughs> so. That's true. Well, and I think that'll lead right into our topic that we'll get into. We're going to take a quick break and yeah. hear from our sponsor for the month. Have you ever considered hiring a virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Let Kukua Biz help. Kukua Biz matches talented professionals from Kenya with small businesses around the globe. Affordable weekly rates allow you to have a dedicated full-time staff member to help you with anything from administrative tasks, social media management, public relations, and more. Go to kukuabiz.com today for more information or email info at kukuabiz.com. Kukuabiz, that's K-U-K-U-A-B-I-Z.com. 
And we are back. And uh, Jill, I think we set this up perfectly right before the commercial break to talk about, you know, the theme of the month. And, um, and that is, you know, I really wanted to have this sense with people that, you know, we've left 2020 behind. I know it's just symbolic, you know, you change the calendar over, but there's something about a new year, you know, whether it's an idea of resolutions, whatever, fresh start. Um, but if there's one thing I think we all learned last year is that you can have all the plans you want, but there's always going to be something sometimes disastrous <laughs> unexpected that changes it. And so my theory for this month is to really throughout January, not only have a new year, but really help our brains become more flexible so that we're not trying to jerk the car back onto the you know road because we've gotten sidetracked a little bit or, you know, um, to help us maintain some more flexibility so that you know, that we handle stress differently, that we handle situations differently, and maybe not so much of a knee jerk reaction. So, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, um, and that it does, you know, and I would love to jump into sort of that um, really powerful inspiration from my book, that'll sort of put a glue around some of what I'm saying. But I think the first thing that it kind of comes to is, is trust and belief, meaning you, if you don't start with a belief that it's all good, that we're exactly where we're meant to be, that problems are going to come and they couldn't not come, like it couldn't be any other way. How do you know that? Because this is the way it is. Like, so to your point, we don't get to control it. We don't get invited to every party. We don't um, get to see, you know, what, the other 8 billion people on the planet are, might do that could affect us. So the truth is you have to, at some point, you have to know how to lean into the ability that whatever life throws at you as a leader or throws at you in your personal life, you have the capacity to problem solve through that. And how would you know you do? Well, I say to most people, look at the history of your life. You're still here, right? I mean, everybody has a story. If you and I sat and you told me your life story and I told you mine, you know, there's a, quite a few bumps in the road, right? Some of them are pretty yeah. big. And yet here we are. And in my world, in when we're here, when we're not anymore, then it is all good at that point. So we really don't have anything to worry about once it's all over. But the point is right. to play while we're here. I like to say, you know, we have to look at leadership in life as a game because it is. And you got to play to win because you've been given all of the tools you need to play to win. And we're using such a small percentage of what God gifted us with to be able to navigate whatever comes our way and not to solve every problem in the world or every problem anybody else has. That's not our job, but we're given what we need to show up in our strongest and best way to deal with whatever comes to us. And by doing that, by knowing and learning how to do that, you then become the light, right? The North Star, the hope for people who want to do that and don't know how. So mm -hmm. I always say after 25 years of doing leadership development programs for companies, I'd throw them all out and I've seen them all, all the major universities, Duke and Harvard and, you know, oh, yeah. all the companies that do it. And I throw them all out and I create a really powerful interdirected course called lead by example. And I would teach people how to do that because if you can do that, you not only solve problems better, faster, and more effectively, but by your example, not by your telling or teaching, nobody learns by being told. 
They learn by observing an example that they could see in themselves the capacity to be that, do that. And they want to, because I believe all of us want to be functional. We all want to be strong. We all want to be successful. Nobody goes out and says, I want to be a jerk. A lot of us can be a jerk on any given day, but not because that's what we want. It's because we don't have any capacity to know how to act differently in that situation when somebody got our goat. And I always like to say, if somebody gets your goat, it's because your goat was out of the barn. Like <laughs> somebody can't get your goat if you keep it protected, right? You close keep those it barn doors. Fix them. Close those barn doors, you know? And, and that's another way of saying, learn how to not take other people's problems and stress personally and be able to separate. It's what you just said. You have to be able to separate as soon as there's a conflict, a problem, a paper cut, I don't care how small or how big the problem is, you first have to be able to separate yourself from the problem so that you can look objectively at it. Then you have to decide, is it my problem or somebody else's? Then you have to decide, if it's mine, what do I need to do? And if it's somebody else's, can I help them? Maybe I can, maybe I can't. But if I can't, then I'm going to walk away and do no harm. I'm going to leave the problem with the person who has to solve it, and I'm going to give them every thought that I have every confidence that they've got this and I'm going to get myself because we start solving everybody else's problems thinking that we're supposed to. And yeah. think about that. Like when you have a problem, do you really want all the advice you get? We don't want advice, but because we talk out loud about our problems to other people, they think we want their solution. Husbands are the best, right? Try just saying anything to your husband without him telling you how to solve that problem. Exactly. You know, it doesn't matter because men by and large tend to, you know, just one, think they have a lot of answers to everything because they're supposed to. And and two, they they don't like anything too softer. You know, again, women were used right. to living in the emotional world, right? And being with it and, you know, wrestling around our how we feel about things. But most men don't like that feeling at all. They're very my, concrete. They want Yeah. My poor husband. Oh man. He, he's yeah. very analytical. I'm clearly right. Not. Exactly. Well, mine is too, absolutely. And my daughter, you know, great example. My daughter, you know, back when she was a kid, like I don't know, eleven years old or something, on a Saturday morning, she's going to be with her friends and she can't find anything cute to wear and she's crying. <laughs> right in the kitchen and my husband's like literally explaining to her like how many clothes she has in the closet and that he's like he's actually trying to, and i'm sitting behind her going like but the same wow. thing happens at work the same thing happens at work you're a leader you're a manager or you're a colleague and somebody blows into your office because they have a problem or something's wrong and they start and then you jump in and you start problem solving and the truth is most of the time they're actually not even asking for you to solve the problem. And then when you tell them the answer and they don't take your advice, then you get mad. Now you got a problem. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I have always, uh, with all the businesses uh, that I've worked with and, and uh, prior to going back into corporate America, I had another company where I worked with medical practices. And so they always wow. brought me in, the docs brought me in to build their profit centers. So I, you know, taught them how to make money with, um, you know, ancillary parts of their business. And so that always meant that I was, I, I would basically kind of take over the role of the practice manager while we'd go through this transition. So I would run staff meetings and all those things. And every time I would come in and I'd say, um, so we've got a new policy. And it is a zero gossip or complaining policy. And I always love saying that because then you look around the room and everybody's like, what? You know, you can't do that or that's never going to happen. I'm like, okay, here's the reason. If you have a problem, let's fix it. 
if you don't like Sally because she doesn't show up on time or she files her nails instead of, you know, answering the telephone, then let's fix it. You know, if you're complaining about the doctors because you don't think they pay you enough, we might not be able to fix that, but let's talk about it. So we figure out different solutions. And whenever I'd come in there, you know, any office in the beginning there, they were mortified by that. But by the time I'd leave and we'd be done with that transition stage, right. they go, it is such a nicer place to work here. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You sit around and bitch with each other. You're never going right. to solve anything that's truly wrong. Right. And nobody's right. ever going to know what's truly right. Well, and so back to that though, right? The greatest model about that is to catch your, to when you do this exercise around when there's a problem, notice, and I always say this, the person who has the problem is the person who's complaining. So that's how you know, whether it's your problem or someone else's, whoever's complaining, that's the person who has the problem. Now, step one in this practice is to notice when that's you. Uh, <laughs> to notice yeah, yeah. when that's you, right? And then as soon as you get used to noticing when that's you, then your anecdote out of that is learn how to ask for what you want without complaining. Learn how to ask for the support that you want without it sounding like a complaint. And so I can give mm -hmm. a billion examples of how you can do that no matter what the problem is or what somebody's doing or saying or not doing. There's always a way to ask for what you want without complaining. So learn that and then model that for people who have a problem. That's so much more effective a way yeah to help people stop complaining than to tell them they can't complain because most people don't have another method. Like they, if you tell me not to complain, well, how am I supposed to fix my problems if I don't go complain to the person who, right? So, so they get stuck in a crack. So it's like, yep. again, it's mindsets. It's learning to look at something completely differently than you've ever looked at it. And then here's the really fun part. It's learning to look at your parents or whoever the authority figures were in your life when you were little so that you can see who taught you how to handle stress. Like who taught you what to do when you don't get what you want? And you can go, oh, my mom did or my dad did. Well, which one of their strategies did you adopt? <laughs> And then let your parents off the hook because they didn't know either what right. to do. But you'll notice, you know, I always say my mother's strategy was the best defense is a good offense. You know, uh -huh. when you got a problem, you go harder back at them than they're coming at you because, right, being a woman in business 35 years ago was no easy shakes. So okay. her, her strategy was like, you got to get out in front of them. You got to be smarter, quicker, sassier, saucier, sharper. <laughs> do your homework more, like all of that stuff, which honestly carried me pretty far in my early career. Like so I ended up moving up the food chain pretty fast, but mm -hmm. it did not work with, it did not work because what was happening is you leave a wake behind you when you do yeah. that. Yeah, you leave um, a trail of You know, it may be a short-term effective strategy, but it's a really bad long-term strategy for how to build trust and collaboration. <laughs> it's not a good, Yeah, it's not good, yeah. I, you know, I, I love it so much of, of what you're talking about. I know you, you, we were visiting about this before we started taping that I think we have a lot of similar stories, a lot of similar paths, which yeah. is really um, fun to think about. Um, but I really completely agree with your statement that if we really wanted to change, when we really want to change, that we, each one of us will want to look inward and seek inward and realize that leading by example is is the differential you there's people listening right now that say you know what i i can tell you right now an example of at least one person in my life that is the opposite of that you know 
the one person uh, in my work. Yeah, one person in my personal life, but and many of them have a lot. But then the ability to then say, okay, so that person doesn't live that way, but do I live that way? I want to live that right. And by the way, you lead by example anyway. You just might be the example of people say, I never want to, I never want to lead that way. It's still like they're leading by example and they're teaching you something, but they're teaching you how to be a better leader than they are. Right. So one way or another, you're always leading by the example, but the point is just, could you be that person who is just being the truth of who you are and strengthening yourself to meet life's challenges and change and transformations that come at you, whether you were invited or not invited, whether somebody asked your opinion or didn't, whether somebody made a mistake intentionally or unintentionally, can you meet that from a position of strength, then that will show people what it looks like to lead by example in the best possible way, as opposed to become the model for what people say, wow, if I ever get to be in a leadership role, I'm not going to do that. And people do it right with your parents. You say, wow, how many of you said, you know, this is what was great about what my mom did or my dad did or my parents did. But by the way, here's the things I'm never going to do that they did. Right. Right? So our teachers always teach us in lots of different ways and you can learn either way. It's all good. Um, But it it really is, you know, it's an inner game. And I always say that one of the challenges and women in particular, I think we have is that we take responsibility too seriously when we say responsibility with an I in it, responsibility, meaning everything's up to me. I have to fix it. I have to do it. I have to be on it. And I encourage people to change the word responsibility to responsibility, meaning I have the ability to respond to anything that life throws at me or to any situation or person or conflict that comes at me. What's my ability to respond in a way that I would be most proud of myself if that were being taped and played back for me or in a way that if my children were watching, they would say, holy crap, man, you were awesome in that meeting or you were <laughs> awesome when that happened. Um, so that's a, but women, again, we, we don't get that because we think, again, that we have to fix everything. We have to take on everything. We have to hold ourselves yeah. to some ridiculous standard of what, I don't know, but you know, to compete, to be, successful mm-hmm. business, we, whatever it is, right? And so I think yeah. that's a one of the mindset shifts that I get people to turn on it, you know, turn turn it around. I love it. And that just told me what the name of this episode is going to be, responsibility versus responsibility. <laughs> I ability. I mean, I got it. I'm going to do it. It's on me. And, and it would stop you. You know, that's what happens to high potentials, right, at work, right? They yes. get a performance yeah. penalty. Because they're so responsible, I bull, that they're just going to keep getting more and more and more to do. They're afraid, particularly if they're younger, right, up and coming hypos, they're afraid to say no or set boundaries or take care of themselves or speak truth to power in a productive and thoughtful, intelligent way. So they just keep taking it. And then finally, they're like, you know, I want to go get a life. I don't want to. This isn't what I want. Right. So, right. So it affects us in a lot of ways when we. I used to say the reward for good work is more work. <laughs> it always is, right? So that's why you have to understand 
you have to understand, right? How to ask for what you want from a position of strength, not from a victim or yeah. complaining or problematic right. standpoint. You have to be able to, to, to do that. And that's an extraordinary power. It's a superpower if you learn to do that. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it is something that, that everyone in their career, once they find that position, they find peace when they know that now they're operating from truth and good communication and, and not trying to feel bad about it, not feeling aggressive about it, find the real way to communicate that your needs are met. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that every day, right, can be a good day, literally. I mean, you don't have to wake up afraid. And my whole journey started when I noticed that every morning, as soon as I was awake, as soon as I was conscious, what I noticed was a pit in my stomach, like what I had wow. to do that day what I had to get done? What did I maybe not think of? I, like I was afraid to open my email because, you know, again, I had a lot of responsibility at a young age. And it just, I literally had this, when's the other shoe going to drop? You know, when am I going to drop a ball? When am I, when is this going to be bigger than me? When, when am they going to, when am I going to get, you know, when am I going to step on that landmine? And mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like, it was when are they out? I can't do it. Oh my god! And it was just crazy. So now I have a thirty-year-old daughter, and she's a COO in a digital marketing startup firm with the CEO that one of the five that started Razorfish. So she's thirty years old, and she's in a crazy job, like for her age, and she's killing it, loving life and having fun. And she's just like, "Mom, there's my friends are want to kill themselves." Like, but for you teaching me an entirely different way to own myself and to know how to set boundaries and say no, whether it's a CEO or anybody else and how to, you know, see problems and stress that comes at me as like, bring it, like, I got this. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, you know, she's, and I look back and I'm like, you know, it, uh, it makes me smile and it's why I do what I do because there's so many things I know now that I wish somebody would have told me when I was, you know, that age. <laughs> so, so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Oh, Jill, we could talk for hours and hours. You're right. We need to. I know. That's this, what I said uh, after I looked at your work. stuff. I'm like, we're just like kindred spirits in the way we think about things. So we would have really. Plus, we probably have a lot of lines. lines. <laughs> That's so perfect. I'll come down to Florida. So it's all good. Yeah, I'm on the in Atlanta. I'm not that far. You can. <laughs> so up we'll have. Too, so. That's true. There's one one short plane ride away. So I know we'll have That's all right. your contact information on our show notes, but uh, just in case somebody wants to find you right now, what's the best way for them to look you up? It's really easy. It's Jill Ratliff Leadership. Uh, www.jillratliffleadership.com is my website. So it's just my name with leadership. LinkedIn, it's Jill Ratliff on LinkedIn. So um, and, uh, Instagram, it's Jill M. Ratliff. So uh, it's just my name everywhere and pretty easy, you know, pretty easy to find. So um, I would um, love the conversation. And like I said, I think that, you know, in, in some ways I've been ostracized by my own community, the, you know, world uh, HR leaders, because so much of what I talk about, think about and advocate for is quite opposite of what we've been doing for a long time, like 14 page performance reviews and 360s. We could get into a whole story about those. And I mean, there's just an awful lot of things that I think people who are working in the field of human resources and um, people in culture and anybody who's passionate about leadership, so much of what we've been taught is academically brilliant and wildly 
impractical or ineffective when we try to implement it because it's pointed at telling other people how to do something or what they should do or how they should feel. And, you know, think about the last time you were really upset about something and somebody said, Michael, just calm down. What did you want to do? You want to stick an ice pick in somebody's forehead. When they tell yes. you to just calm down, like, don't tell me to just calm down. Right? So every strategy that us great, stable, you know, smart leaders think we have for how to help people who are in stress, by the way, which is most of the people that work in organizations, doesn't actually work. Because you're needing people from your position of strength, not from their position of weakness. You're making them wrong right out of the gate. Um, rather than demonstrating or showing people what it looks like to stay in your power. Like, what does it look like to be okay with problems? What does it look like to know that people get upset and scream and yell and say things they don't mean? It happens. So what are you going to do? Blame them? Take them to court? You know, (laughs) you know, hang them out to dry? Or is there a better way? And that's what I talk about in my book. I love it. So before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? just lighten up, just lighten up. Don't take yourself, leadership, even the world, frankly, so seriously. And that's with no disregard to coronavirus or its challenges or people who are affected by it with job loss or anything else. I'm not minimizing any of that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, for millions of years, we've been figuring it out. There's nobody more brilliant than we are embedded with divine intelligence, the ability to solve problems, the ability to come together, and honestly, change anything we decide to change. So let's just trust that 2021 is going to be a better year, because we've learned a lot in 2020. We're different people than we were going into 2020. And for the better, at least more of us, right, have learned something. And that learning is going to pay great dividends in 2021. Um, And, you know, I'm going to you know, stick around with very high hopes for all the really cool things that could happen. And I became a grandmother in 2020 with my first grandchild. So 2020 rocks as far as (laughs) (laughs) one of the best things that ever happened to me happened in 2020. So um, all, albeit with all its challenges, I think um, connection to each other, focus on what matters and optimism that we have every potential to build the world any way we want to build it. And we're getting better all the time. I love it. Jill, thank you so much for being my guest. I am so glad we have connected. Mm -hmm. Me too. And I hope we can, you know, stay connected. It would be really fun. I think we're out doing the same work and, um, you know, I, I, I love the way you approach it and, and the way you think. And so I would, I appreciate just having you in my, my tribe and my network. So. Aw, thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.